It is me, Gabby Dunn, and this is Bad With Money. Okay, guys, <clears throat> my German is shit. I'm sorry, my German is shite? Shite? No, that's British. Scheiß? Scheiß? I don't know, I'm just looking at a script. I, I don't know how you pronounce that. As you can tell, I don't know much about Germany. And there's a very good reason for that, and we'll get to it very soon. I also don't know anything about how Germans think about money. But I did find this old saying, please bear with me, Geld stinkt nicht. Or my producer found it when looking into Germany's attitudes about money. Thank you, Tamika. Geld stinkt nicht. According to Google Translate, it means cash don't stink. Generally, Germans are pretty wary of getting into debt. They don't understand why you'd put a payment on a credit card, why you'd use quote unquote money you don't have. Thank you, Google, for this information. This episode is not sponsored by Google. I guess all of that makes sense, right? If you can see what you're spending, then you're not spending what you don't have. Plus, many German stores and merchants still only accept cash. That strikes me as pretty different from the U.S., where credit cards and paying by tapping your phone reign supreme. Okay, so before we jump into this, let me just say, you and I are on this journey together of being open-minded, of exposing ourselves to the money realities and cultures around the world. You're with me as I genuinely consider if one of these countries could be a place I could live one day. So I need to share something really, really personal with you regarding this episode. I do not like Germany. In fact, I'm afraid of Germany. I do not fucks with Germany. I do not want to do this episode. I have never visited Germany. I don't want to. I have an adverse reaction to even hearing the word Germany. This might seem strange, but it's because I'm the granddaughter of Holocaust survivors. And the idea of ever going to Germany scares the shit out of me. I don't know what I think's going to happen. I, that it's a trick? I'm not sure. So we're going to do this because I truly believe that it's important to see people as people. Time has passed. We have to be open-minded even when it scares you, you know, Maybe especially it's important to be open-minded when it scares you. And I've heard from many, many people I've told my fear to over the years that Germany is actually really great about acknowledging its past and making amends in a way that the U.S. has not been about the atrocities it has committed. So my bias against Germany, friends have said, should be looked at in conjunction with how the U.S. ignores the Japanese internment camps or slavery or its history of genocide of indigenous peoples. You're not going to find a country that doesn't have a bad past, right? Germany has one, like all kinds of places in the world have them. But Germany, supposedly, is a great example of growing and learning and taking responsibility. So, I have been talked into doing this episode. Here we go. I'm going to call a reporter that's based in Berlin, and um, I just want to get some basics about what Germany is like today and how money works there now. Hello. Hi, Jill. This is Gabby. Hi, Gabby. How are you? I'm good. Nice to meet you. you too. I want I want you to um, introduce yourself and, and tell my audience a little bit about what you do and where you're located. Okay. So um, I'm originally from Ireland, and I've been living in Germany for about 10 years now. I've been a correspondent for a couple of places, including Quartz, which is American, and now I'm working for Yahoo Finance UK. I've lived in Amsterdam, London, China, and but most of the last 10 years has been in Germany. In Berlin, right? In Berlin, absolutely. Um, I haven't actually lived in any other cities in Germany, so I'm pretty much a Berliner by now. So we found this saying, Geld stinks nicht, and I know that it's like an older people saying, um, if I even said it right. But have you have you heard that phrase since you've been living in Germany? And like, do you know what it means? I know what it means because uh, Geld stinkt nicht means uh, money doesn't stink, basically. Mm -hmm. And I had never heard it. So I asked my German partner if he had heard it. And he said it's something that he heard like his grandmother saying. And then I did a little research last week. And I found out that it actually comes from Latin. And there's a version of it in English. It's pecunia non olet in Latin. And it means money doesn't stink 
which comes from this emperor who's called Vespasian. And in 70 AD, he started taxing basically the public toilets in, in ancient Rome. And because like they used urine for everything those days, they made in those days, they made toothpaste with it. They washed their clothes with it because they extracted ammonia. So he Mm -hmm. thought, okay, I'm going to tax this. This is a great source of revenue. And um, his son was kind of grossed out, his son Titus, and was like, oh, no, you know, do you have to do that? And he grabbed a whole bunch of money and said, smell this. Money doesn't smell. Basically, the meaning is the same in German. You know, my money's as good as yours. Like, it doesn't really matter where it comes from. In the UK, we would say money talks. Yeah. Or, yeah, or, like, my money's as good as yours, I've heard, in the U.S., meaning, like, it doesn't matter where I got it or it doesn't matter if it's $50 from a poor person or $50 from a rich person or whatever. Exactly. But I think um, in Germany it takes on an even, uh, like, another layer of meaning because Germans love cash. Like, they really love cash. And they. Um, I think another interesting thing about Germans and debt is the word for debt, which is schuld. S-C-H-U-L-D, is also the word for guilt. Really? So, What's that about? I know. It's it's very, very interesting. It's literally the same word. And um, in a way, the German kind of view or attitude has, has like for a long time been, well, if you're in debt, you've done something bad, kind of. You know, debt is seen as a, as a bad thing, almost like there's an element of shame. So I can kind of see how Schuld can you know cross over both those things it's part of the as part of the german attitude to having like ready cash and not living on credit so germany most people use cash they don't want to get in they don't want to pay for anything that they can't like quote unquote afford i mean in america if you're in debt they people blame you for sure but in germany it's like you have no excuse like there's you should not be in debt at all it is seen as like you're pretty bad at managing your money so, but I think to understand the German's attitude to money, it's like, okay, so they're in generally it's a glass half empty situation. So they've been quite pessimistic because they've been burnt by history time and time again. Um, First World War, they bought, were told to buy war bonds. Then obviously Germany lost the war. They lost all their money. Then there was the Weimar Republic in the 1920s, which, um, I think the inflation was about a trillion percent. They lost all their money again. Then along came Hitler, told everyone to buy war bonds and to put down payments on like Volkswagen Beetles. Oh, and people no. never saw those cars, and, of course, and lost all their money again. So it wasn't until the 50s when there was what's called the Wirtschaftswunder, the economic miracle, when Germany was able to rebuild itself. That By then, people are like, I want to have my money in cash where I can see it. Oh, so everyone's super paranoid. <laughs> Got I mean, it. It's sensible. In other ways, um, it's super paranoid, absolutely. And then, of course, like that isn't all the trauma because in East Germany, so, you know, obviously Germany was then split into East and West after the, after the Second World War. And for 30 years, all of those people, the East Germans, were living under communism. So when the country reunited... They didn't have a clue how to, how would you say, how to cope in the sort of cut and thrust of capitalism. Mm -hmm. You know, they had jobs for life under the socialist government. And they actually had quite a bit of savings, the East Germans, because there was nothing really to spend your money on. I mean, you couldn't go on foreign trips or you couldn't buy cars and stuff. So, but still, I mean, reuniting these two people who had different attitudes to um, how to make money Mm -hmm. has been really, really difficult. And I think... To understand um, German, the German attitude to money, you have to understand that the last hundred years has been like super traumatic. Yeah, I imagine. Um, I mean, so is it just a culture of frugality, even from East Germany to West Germany? Like, it seems like both sides are were very frugal. Both sides were very frugal, but also I think the world's first savings bank was um, 1775 in Hamburg in Germany. So they've had it drummed into them for like a couple of hundred years already that to save means you're a good responsible member of society, that you're going to take care of your family, that you're you're kind of an upstanding person. Mm -hmm. And banks went to schools and still do, I think, and make kids or encourage kids to open, you know, their first savings accounts and stuff like that. Banks do? Banks go to schools and, and teach kids about savings? 
Well, yeah, they definitely used to. I don't know if in the last couple of years that has not been the case, but um, yeah, there's there was a I mean the banks would be the first people to arrive with with piggy banks and little pigs, plastic pigs, and and kids would be encouraged like put their first marks in it, Deutsch marks back then. Wow. So yeah, it's just been part of the culture. And interestingly, for the very first time ever in last year. Uh, credit card payments outstripped cash payments for the first time ever yeah (laughs) why we're talking such a slim margin so we're talking like 48.6 percent of all shopping on on cards and 48.3 with cash so it's slim but um well i mean it's the rise of it's the rise of amazon it's the rise of online shopping it's not that people are going into shops in berlin for example with a credit card it's that there's more and more shopping happening online. Mm. But even there, even there, we only got Apple Pay in December last year. And I think in the States, it's been around since about four years, right? Mm-hmm. In, and there was a survey done that said like 60% of Germans were skeptical about paying with smartphones because they couldn't see any advantages. They could see a lot of disadvantages, the data trail, um, you know, your bank or, or these huge institutions being able to sort of track you. Sure. Wait, so Germans, um, I mean, but is this credit card payments or is this they're using debit cards for Amazon? You know what I mean? When I say credit cards, credit cards as in the way that like US and British people understand them don't really exist here. So you will get a credit card. It will say MasterCard, but you still have to pay off the balance at the end of every month. Mm hmm. So it's not like you can run up to say 10, 20,000 euros debt. You have to, it's, it's more like a debit card that you pay every month. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. But it happens with what's called EC cards and they come from your bank and they're just like straight up debit cards. Got it. You know, what's interesting too, is you saying that German people are nervous about digital payment because of the government being able to keep track of you or like I, my first thought was like, yeah, and they don't like lists, you know, like. They're not uh, they're not down to be on a list. <laughs> like there seems to be some like we got to handle our stuff on our own and not be traceable or something. <laughs> but if you think about it, I mean, under the in East Germany, under the Stasi, people were spied on all the time by their neighbors, by mm-hmm. people in authority. So and this hypersensitivity to sharing your data or just not being completely independent. I mean, cash, it's it, inarguably cash keeps you independent. No one can trace you. And I mean, that is a problem actually. And a lot of sort of economists have said that this is not a good state because um, so many transactions don't go into like electronic records and then they can't be taxed. Right. So I would say arguably it's easier to avoid that. I mean, we're th- I was thinking today about you know, cleaners and tradespeople, like, I don't know, a guy comes to paint your apartment, um, things like that, like those kind of things. A lot of it happens, we call it Schwarzgeld, black money. It basically means sort of unaccounted for income. Um, But taxes in Germany are high. They are, but a lot of stuff passes through, for example, like, you know, a lot of sort of cleaners would want to be paid in cash. A Mm -hmm. lot of people want to be paid in cash for, for small jobs. And I mean, I tend to carry huge bundles of cash around with me just because even really hip places like pop-up restaurants, they want cash. And your local, I think you would call it a bodega in the US, but like a corner shop, yeah, Mm -hmm. they want cash. And even there's quite a few kind of, there's loads of places want cash. If you want to go just buy a snack or a kind of sausage, hot dog, you name it you're going to need cash. So, and when I have visitors who come over like to to Berlin, they're always shocked and kind of angry cuz they need cash. <laughs> yeah, well, we find it inconvenient um to think about how much we're spending. How dare you? <laughs> Definitely. I mean, that's interesting if the idea that Germany loves cash is because everyone's trying to avoid taxes. <laughs> I think it's such a combination of things. It's history. It's having a, a handle on how much have I spent this week. You know, I'm going to take out $200 and not going to spend any more kind of thing. And it's just sometimes we have no choice because we go places and they don't take either these normal debit cards or credit cards. So it's kind of annoying. It's, it's definitely annoying. And I'm kind of heartened to see that card payments are, are, are stripping cash slowly. 
Is there a generational difference? Like, are younger Germans more okay with debt, more okay with loans? Well, there's two. There's kind of there's two parts to the, to that because one, banks don't give out loans just willy nilly. You know, they're very very cautious about giving out loans. It's hard to get a mortgage here. You need a decent down payment. So, it's not like credit is readily available. But um, I was reading this survey today that said, like, when young people have debt, it's because they owe it to, like, mobile um, cell phone companies or they owe it to mail order companies. But when old people have debt here, it's because their partner has died or they're really sick and they can't work anymore. So um, I think younger people are more open to it, but they're not being offered huge lines of credit for sure. Well, you guys don't have – they don't have student loans, right? No, and isn't that, I mean, that is such a great thing because I spent like my late 20s kind of trying to dodge my British student loan company. I mean, they tracked me down pretty much (laughs) on my 30th birthday. But um, yeah, so education is free here. University, college is completely free. I mean, you do have to pay small administrative fee. I'm talking maybe $200, $300. Yeah. Uh, Which is fantastic. So you start your professional life without this enormous, Mm -hmm. I don't know, 20,000 burden of debt. And I mean, there's no, there's no arguing that that's just a really good way to start, to start your like professional work life. What's the, um, I've been asking this about every place, but is Germany mostly white people? Um, yes, there's not a lot in Berlin. There's more of a cultural mix than in other places in Germany, but it's predominantly white. We have a huge Turkish population here. We actually have the second largest outside of Istanbul. Oh, cool. So, and that's because a lot of Turkish people came as guest workers during the 50s because Germany didn't have enough workers. So mm. they invited these, like other nations to come and, and, and work. But yes, it's a, Berlin, this, Berlin is a very white city overall, yeah. Would you say like to me, let's say as an American in Los Angeles, is it, would it be affordable to live in Berlin? Like, what what would rent on like a studio apartment or a one bedroom be or like what you know is is it like high grocery costs or like is it sort of an affordable place to live versus let's say i don't know london which is like notoriously expensive oh god absolutely um it's so much cheaper here it's it's like when people come from the states or the us or or the uk to visit me they think that rent prices here are really i'm trying to think what it, what it would be per square meter but let's say um a one-bedroom apartment is going to set you back around 800 euros, so about $900. Not bad. In Berlin. Groceries can be very cheap. I mean, this is the country that invented um, the discount grocery store. I'm sure you've heard of Aldi or Lidl or something like that. I think Aldi's in the U.S. Salaries aren't huge. I mean, Berlin has a big startup scene, but people are being paid you know, peanuts because they want to be part of this. Rents are going up so fast in Berlin that the government has frozen all rent increases for the next five years. Well, that's nice starting, of them. Starting from January, yeah. It is getting more expensive compared to London, compared to um, LA or New York. It is still really cheap. However, I think salaries are low here. So you're from Ireland and you've probably seen a lot of differences having having lived in Germany for a while. Do you Do you still feel like a foreigner? Do you compare like stuff from Ireland? Is it hugely different? Well, yeah, I haven't lived in Ireland for many, many years, like nearly 30 years. So I don't feel, I do feel kind of at home in Germany, but I still feel different from the Germans. I don't know if it's just a thing, but yeah, I I, I, I do feel slightly different from from the Germans, even though I'm married to one. (laughs) My partner told me that the Germans uh, are, are, will yell at you, like are confrontational about rules. <laughs> like oh, if you're breaking the rules, they will confront you. This is one thing that I've never really, um, I'm, I've never really got down with, despite like a decade of being here, is that Berliners will yell at you all the time for everything, and they'll call you young lady, even though I am like patently not anymore. <laughs> so. For example, if you cross when the, the little man at the traffic light is still red you have to, and you don't wait till he's green, you're going to get yelled at. There's no like minding your own business. It's like, these are the rules of our country. How dare you? Yeah. And I tend to warn my guests. I'm like, okay, if you're in a restaurant and the waitress is like super grumpy, don't worry. It's not you. It's just, we're a bit more gruff here. So don't take it personally. <laughs> just the Let's pause this chat for now. We got to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. So stick around.
And we're back. So, okay, so I this whole season has kind of been about, like, figuring out where I want to live. And my producer had read all the stuff about Germany and was like, oh, what about Germany? And I uh, am the grandchild of Holocaust survivors. So my I was like, Germany can go fuck itself. And I think, like, that was just, like, an initial gut reaction. And, you know, we were talking about how— Germany actually does a better job than the U.S. of acknowledging wrongs and of, you know, trying to um, take ownership of its history. Uh, And I was curious about, like, your opinion on that. Um, Yeah, this is a a very interesting topic right now because absolutely all German school children go to visit concentration camps and it's part of their education for a very long time. However, there's been an alarming rise in anti-Semitic crime here. And I mean, it's, it's, it's front page news these days that the amount of attacks on Jewish property, just verbal abuse towards Jewish people, um, attacks on desecration of Jewish cemeteries. The, the number of incidents each year are climbing and have been climbing for the last sort of three or four years. So that's a sobering and, and worrying development in Germany. Does that, do you think that, ha- I mean, you said the last three or four years, that's got to be tied to Trump in some way. Uh, I don't think so. I was um, getting deep into this topic the other day because I was writing about the fall of the Berlin Wall and how there's an enormous rise in, in right-wing extremism in Germany. And the, the further back I went, you know, the more I remembered, there were huge incidents against foreigners and refugees in the 90s, in the 2000s. This kind of right wing element of German society hasn't ever really gone away. Mm. And it's not so much about Trump, but we have a party here called Alternative for Germany, AFD, and they're far right and they're winning increasingly more votes, especially in the former East German states. So, and with that, it's, they're a heavily anti-foreigner, yeah, anti-immigrant party. So Xenophobia, yeah. so it's anti-immigrant that's leading to, like, anti-Semitism? Absolutely. And the government is now putting huge budget behind trying to tackle this spread of hate crime. Because, you know, in the eastern city of Halle, in October, there was an attack on a Jewish synagogue. The guy tried to break in and attack the people inside during Yom Kippur. So... He didn't make it in. He couldn't get in through the doors, but he killed two people walking past the synagogue. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and he was, I don't know if he was already radicalized online, but he admitted that he was part of like right-wing extremist thoughts and beliefs. Um, it's, it's, It's kind of a worry. So I don't know if that's would factor into you coming here, but would you love Berlin? Yes. Would I show you places? Yes. Could you have some of, of my like, (laughs) suitcase of money that we would need yes (laughs) I yeah that's the thing is Berlin is seen as like so fun and I have a you know a couple friends that have visited and friends that live there that's very in the very queer art scene and things like that but also it's like you know you're talking about the anti-semitism and like there's there was a shooting in a synagogue in Pittsburgh here in the U.S. it's like how much you know um Specifically, money-wise, I know that, like, there's been even, like, reparations done, you know, for Jews and re- returning of artwork and stuff in Germany that I, I don't think the U.S. has has even come close to doing. Yeah, that, I mean, that is true. But in terms of Germans learning from history, that's sometimes where I – what really shocks me is that how can right-wing extremism be even allowed to, I don't know, germinate here again? So – Considering the rise of of right wing anti semitism in Germany, how how do Germans view Trump and the and the nationalism that's being spread in America? Well, there's quite a few, you know, couple a couple of times a year, there's a kind of survey comes out about how Germans feel about all foreign leaders, and they don't really like Trump. He's not very popular at all, really. Yeah, shocking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, surprise, surprise. So, yeah, he's I, I, he's not hugely popular here amongst Germans. Pretty interesting because it is such white nationalism, too. And that's like Germany is having a little bit of a backlash where younger people are like, well, why can't we fly the flag? Why can't I be proud to be German? Which is like happening here, too, where it's like, well, I'm just proud to be white. And I don't understand why that's a problem. And it's like sounds so similar, you know? Yeah, but I think Germans have come out of the um, come out of the sort of the guilty days and after 
not the last football World Cup or soccer World Cup, but the one before was the first time when Germans, um, when the World Cup was in Germany, they they celebrated, they they flew flags, and it felt like a sort of new beginning because they could be happy to be German. Mm-hmm. They're you know they weren't hated all over the world anymore. In fact, they were seen as like friendly, decent, a decent friendly nation again. And I think that was a huge sense of relief for lots of young people who were. I mean, it's it's also exhausting to to sort of suffer. You know that wear that mantle forever, isn't it? Of 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 um. Of, of being hated. I know. But it's also like, I mean, there's got to be a balance because the U.S. is just like, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> like, you got to like. Yeah, and I, that's why I, I love how like the, the German school kids do go to um, to see concentration camps. And that, I mean, for example, my my partner who's in his 40s, he said like learning their own history, especially the Second World War, took up quite a large chunk of their primary school education. Yeah. And meanwhile, we're like, Columbus, we love him. Um, Okay. (laughs) Thank you so much. I really appreciate you talking to me. Thank you so much. Great to meet you. Yeah. Nice to meet you too. Thanks for talking to me. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. God, this is rough. Just when I was getting into this whole thing, oh, look, there's something horrifying and personally triggering off in the corner there. Great. Let's take a break. Okay, we're back. I need to be clear. I fully realize that Germany is probably not a bad place to live. And I've seen pictures of friends having really, really fun times in Munich and Berlin. I I really want to hear more about what it's like today, right? And I do want to know what it's like for an American to make the hugely expensive and life-changing decision to move to Germany, even knowing its complicated history. How do you make sense of it? How do you decide to build a life for yourself there? So we found this girl named Dunna on YouTube. She's an American who talks about German language and culture on her channel. So we're going to give her a call. I'm not going to start with my hard-hitting why the fuck do you live in Germany question because I do really want to get to know her and her experience. But trust me, that question is coming. Hello? Hey, so for my audience, can you uh, introduce yourself and say a little about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So my name is Donna Newman, and I'm an American, and I live in Munich, Germany. I am a YouTuber. I'm a book author, and I also lived for one year in Prague in the Czech Republic as well. Um, so why why did you move to Europe? So... My my name is Dana, but it's spelled Dana, mm-hmm. D-A-N-A, and my heritage is Czech, and I grew up learning about that heritage, and I was always really curious about it, and I always thought like, yeah, one day I would like to go to the Czech Republic and just kind of see what's what it's like there, and then when I graduated from college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, but I just felt this kind of feeling like I really wanted to move to Europe. And yeah, it was really, I could have gone there to travel and sightsee a little bit, but for some reason I just had this feeling that I really wanted to move there. And so that's what I did. After college, I sold my things at a yard sale and um, I also sold my car as well, which, you know, for Americans, that's a big step, like (laughs) selling the car. And then um, I bought a one-way plane ticket and I moved to Prague. Where were you living in the U.S.? Uh, In South Florida. Oh, okay. Oh my God, where? Um, West Palm Beach. I'm from from Hollywood. (laughs) Oh, shit. Nice. (laughs) South Florida. Um, Yeah, it was a big change moving to Europe. (laughs) Yeah, I was about to be like, South Florida, it's fine. Um, Yeah, (laughs) it's warm. Okay, so (laughs) we wanted to do an episode about Germany. Uh, I am Jewish and I am the the granddaughter of Holocaust survivors. And I, my initial reaction to my producer suggesting an episode about Germany was, fuck no. Uh, and I, but I've heard over, and I've never been, and I've heard over the, over the years, like Germany really is accountable. Germany, uh, is really like, um, great about like the ugly history and Germany really handles it arguably 
much better than like the U.S., which just sort of pretends the Japanese internment camps didn't happen. Um, so is that your feeling ab- about Germany or about the people of Germany? Like, is this just like, is this is this handled particularly well? Okay. I would say that when I first moved to Germany and the first few years that I lived here, because it definitely takes a while to get to know a place, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of also why I wanted to move to Europe because I was really curious about Europe and I had the feeling that I couldn't really get to know it if I just vacationed here. Right. So when I first moved here and I heard about exactly what you said, all of the education that goes on, I mean... People here in Germany really learn about it at school, I think, every year. Like, really, really learn about it, learn about it, learn about it. Um, So, yeah, that is definitely the feeling that I got at the beginning. Now, I would say that's still the case, but there are some things that I think still could be done better. I might have to send you an article because I'm not sure if I have the exact details here, but I remember reading an article that talked about how there was a university as part of the science department. They still had body parts from Holocaust victims. Wow. Yeah. I do remember learning that. Yeah. And being like, well, okay, that definitely shouldn't be the case at all. Mm-hmm. But as a general, like, uh, for most people in society, they really learn about it here and um, really take it in as um, their responsibility, almost to the point where now people are starting to be like, okay, come on. We're like the third generation, you know, it wasn't us. You know, that feeling of kind of like, okay, I'm that they are kind of done feeling guilty, you know, because it's like, it's now people who didn't have anything to do with it. And so they're starting to say like, because people here, you know, do not fly the German flag for the most part, because there's that, um, I don't know if, if guilt is the right word. Yeah, probably guilt. Now Germans are saying like, okay, well, maybe we could start to be, you know, okay with the flag. Like proud of, well, okay with feeling okay about um, who we are as a country today. Yeah. Because, you know, Germany today is a pretty uh, accepting place. I mean, during the refugee crisis, you know, they took in so many people and so they're talking about, and they have healthcare and, you know, they have these things that when you look at America, it's like, well, America doesn't have those things. You know, America doesn't have maternity leave or paternity leave or anything like that. And so, yeah, it's like, okay, um, people are saying, I think now we can start to be happy with who we are today as Germany present day. Yeah, and also like Germany is not ha- doesn't have I assume um statues of Hitler whereas like <laughs> in the US it's like we want to take down this Confederate statue and everyone's like no. Right, exactly, exactly. That that uh, in Germany that is absolutely not the case and in the US, I mean the US my goodness has just done so many bad things in the name of manifest destiny and in the name of being America and oh yeah they're just like the civil war was fine and we're like what and like I'm I the impression I've gotten is that nobody in Germany would say that whereas like in the U.S. they're like there's like Robert Lee High School and you're like "Mm." right exactly right exactly I know. So it's, it's, it is just like a personal ickiness, I think. Like when you said the thing about the bodies being used for science, my like stomach lurched. I was like, right. Of course. Of course it does. Like definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out if I just have like a, like a bias or something. It's, it's hard to, so my, my Czech heritage, my grandfather, he was a political refugee. That's how we ended up in America, was he was a politician in Czechoslovakia 
And he stayed in Czechoslovakia during World War II. And he, I don't know exactly what his role was, but he was a politician and he, you know, fought against the Nazi Germans. Mm -hmm. And he was also in a concentration camp. And um, he, like, he survived through World War II. And he then... um, ended up staying in Czechoslovakia as long as he could. Like I said, he was a politician. And so when then the communists came and took over Czechoslovakia, he he tried to stay there for as long as he could and fight for the freedom of the country. But eventually they put a bounty on his head for wanted dead or alive. And that is when he then finally had to leave and go to England. So he did the Underground Railroad to get to England. And then um, he he had a, a wife already, my grandmother. She stayed in Czechoslovakia for a while until one day in the middle of the night, it was finally decided that it was time that she had to leave Mm-hmm. I don't know how mm-hmm. they decided that. I don't know. There are so many details that are lost. But then in the middle of the night, she had to say goodbye to her mom, like just not even go back home. She was coming home from work and her mom met her 15 minutes from the house, handed her a bag and said, it's time for you to go. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah. And she had to then go to England. And then from there, they were invited to America. And I'm telling this because the thing is that my grandfather was, if any, I mean, he, you would have thought that he would have hated um, the Germans or hated the Russians or, but the, the sense that I got from what was passed down to me was that he would have been really happy that I came back to Europe and that I ended up moving to Germany and marrying the German love of my life, you know, falling in love here and getting to know the country of Germany today. You know, I right. I really didn't get the feeling. He, I think I really, from the stories and from the writings that he had and and the things about him was that he understood that the the individual people of today are not the same forces or are Mm -hmm. not the Nazis from that time. You know, the individual people of today are completely different. I'm sorry that took a huge tangent to get to. No, it's it's a perspective. No, it's a relevant perspective. Thank you so much, Jenna. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for reaching out to me to talk about this. All right. She got me there at the end. I think it's it's a really nice thought that Donna chooses happiness and to believe that her grandfather would want her to choose happiness in Germany, despite what happened there to her family. That's That's a really good point that I had not considered. In fact, it makes me think of my grandmother. You all heard the very surreal episode a couple seasons ago where I reacted to her death. Um, There's so much about me that has been shaped by Maymay and her story, and it's impossible for me to think about Germany without thinking of her. Her experience in the Holocaust was horrible. Um, She was living in France and Belgium mostly, uh, but um, her father was in the French resistance and her family uh, was torn apart because of that and were punished because of that. And... Um, She was in a concentration camp that we didn't find out until after she passed away was specifically for young women. So take from that what you will. Um, She passed away in 2018. um, And I luckily had the privilege of interviewing her before she died. So in this interview, I asked Maymay what she thought about money and what her life was like in Nazi-occupied Europe, all kinds of things. Um, and honestly, I, I haven't listened to it since she passed away. So it's been like a year and a half. I just kind of haven't been able to bring myself to. One time I listened to an old voicemail she left me and I cried all day. So I just didn't think that I was ready to hear the interview. <laughs> um, I've been learning a ton about Germany in this episode, but May May's voice is is the authority that I hear in my head when I think about this country. So I, I just need to hear it again. Um 
so I, so I didn't listen to it. I, I sent the file to my producer, Tamika, and she pulled some clips. And I'm going to listen back to them for the first time now. Uh, so, um, okay. So let's, uh, let's hit play on these. So I'm going to record on my phone. I wanted to get like a history from you a little bit of like, um, I guess like your childhood, like, did you grow up? Do you, did you grow up with money? Do you remember like your family having? Yeah, we were comfortable. My father made a good living. Yes. What did he do? He was a tailor for women, ladies tailor. He only made suits and coats for men, for ladies. And uh, where were you guys? You guys were in Paris? We were in Paris, and then Bon Papa opened up a sub uh, station, or whatever you call it, in Brussels. Bon Papa is her father, so my great-grandfather. As we listen to this interview, which took place in 2018, you're going to hear my voice come in and out to fill in some blanks and explain some things because Maymay is notoriously cagey. When the war started, was there like a change in the money situation? That was different. Yeah. When the war started, the first thing they announced that all the men, 35 and under, should leave the country because they would be taken by the Gestapo. So Bon Papa and Henry, you know my cousin Henry? Yeah, yeah. The one whose daughter lives in in Texas. Mm -hmm. He left and went to the south of France. Okay. The two of them. And they stayed there for a while, but nothing happened, and they say it was a hoax. So they came back. Oh. Bon Papa came back, and uh, Henry came back. Well, how did that impact, like, making money for your family? Was he working when he was down there? No. So did that change, like, how much money you guys had? Or No, we, we were comfortable. Yeah. We didn't... So he was able well, to do that. He had to do it because of the war. Yeah. How old were you when he did that? 10 or 12, 12 maybe. 1940s when the war broke up. Uh-huh. I was born in 26, so I was about 14. And... So what did you think about, like, that he had to go away? Well, I was a little independent. (laughs) A little independent. You keep saying that. You keep describing yourself as a little independent. Well, because I had friends, and we went places. One night, and the Germans were there already. Yeah. And, you know, there were a lot of Frenchmen. Yeah. Who cooperated, collaborated. And I was going to this nightclub. It's like a club. And as we got to the door, we were stopped. The Gestapo was there. And they would say, a couple, you would let them in. A woman alone, stand here. And he separated the couples from the women alone. And I started to think fast. And uh, he asked the first girl, you know, what she was doing there. And the next girl, then he came to me and he said, and what are you doing here? Oh, I says, my fiancé is in the orchestra. That's why I don't come uh, with an escort. Uh, he would ask all the girls, because he took them in. They would, yeah, they would take them in for they being alone. Them. I said, no. So he said to me, what's his name? I knew his name. He lived upstairs. Oh, you knew the name of the guy who did the orchestra. Yeah. 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 And he went along with it. Oh, my we God. I never uh, talked about it before, but he went along with it. So the guy let me go. I went inside. Oh, my God. I didn't stay long. Maymay mentions uh, some of the girls that were single and not with an escort getting pulled away. I presume to be arrested, but at the time, um, you, I don't know what that means. Like, you could have ended up, you could have ended up in a camp. You could have ended up um, 
being held at the police station and let go. Uh, if they had seen, you know, on your ID or your papers that you were Jewish, like who knows what could have happened. Um, there were stories of people that their neighbors were arrested and never you never heard from them again. So it was a big, scary question mark uh, when people were singled out and taken by the Gestapo. So then people thought that it was a hoax, so he came back. It wasn't a hoax. Well, it wasn't a hoax, but they thought that the thing about people leaving Paris was a hoax? Oh, no, that was announced on the radio. Right, but then why did he come back? Because there was nothing going on. Right. They they threatened Mm -hmm. to take them away, Mm -hmm. but it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. They were going to put them. And, of course, you know, Pompapa, I told you the other day, Pompapa was in the FFE. Yeah, the resistance. And uh, he would come home, and we lived in a house with the main floor, and then we had a finished basement. Mm -hmm. And then in between the two floors, what do you call that, like a, a mezzanine? Yeah, a mezzanine. There was a bathroom. Yeah. And every time... Well, every day when Bon Papa came from work, he would go to that bathroom. And when the the Germans, the Gestapo, came to them, they knew that. Whoever had turned us in knew that Bon Papa was going to the mezzanine. So they were watching you? I guess. And he went up there and he found some papers. You see, Bon Papa would come home and he would hide the papers so that in case we were arrested or questioned, but they found them. And there was the papers said, uh, uh, France will not, uh, you know, fall to the German Mm -hmm. uh, dictatorship. Mm -hmm. And so did you know that he was in the resistance? No. Yeah. We, none of us. Maybe my mother, but I shouldn't. Yeah. You know what? I didn't care. I was not a nice girl. (laughs) What do you mean you were not a nice girl? Well, I mean, I wanted to go out. I want, that's why I, when my mother were left with Nono. Yeah. And then she came back and she went to that place. In Brussels, she wanted me to go with her. Yeah. And I said no, that I would stay in the house until my friends were ready and I would move in with my friends. Um, so no knows um, her little brother is when she talks about her parents taking uh, her brother. So she ended up staying back because she wanted to be with her friends or she wasn't taking what was going on seriously. Um, and... That was when she got picked up by the Gestapo. They came to the house to look for my great-grandfather, and they found her. It was just like an unlucky break. And they arrested her, and um, so she was around 14, and that was when she was taken to the concentration camp, was from staying at the house. She's being deliberately dodgy, um, and specifically not using the word concentration camp. She's 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 being um, purposefully vague, I think, here. Um, And then she was in the camp for, we don't know how long, again, super dodgy. Uh, And then she was eventually rescued by someone who worked with Bonpapa in the French Resistance. Uh, But she was there long enough for a lot of bad things to happen. I will, I'll say that. So then when the war was over, what, what happened? I went to work in an American office in Paris. In Paris. So after the war, you went to work... In, a, in an office. Doing in what? It was a chaplain's office. Mm-hmm. I did some writing. And the, the boys would come in and, I mean, the American soldiers come in and write down their complaints. <laughs> that was nothing. Yeah. And uh, How old were you? At that time, I must have been 16. Okay. 17, maybe. Because I... I had your dad when I was 20. Yes, I know. So I came to America and got pregnant right away. So had, how how did you meet the soldier that you came to America? Well, he used to come to the office. Yeah. And uh, I invited him 
to the house, mm -hmm. to my mother's house. My mother was very generous with, you know, inviting soldiers right. for dinner or for lunch or something. Were you guys able to have money again after that, or was it totally different? I don't know about the money part. Yeah. We never, we never had any problems that I know of. Yeah. Well, because both of us paid for you to get out of the, the camp, right? Do you, didn't that man that took me out? Yeah. I don't think so. Oh, he didn't bargain? He didn't, like, pay? I don't think so. No, we thought he was a an agent, a double agent. Mm -hmm. But he wasn't. He worked for the resistance. Oh. And he took me out because he wanted to do something for my father. Right. My father, because my father was very busy in the resistance and very knowledgeable. And also after the war, he helped a lot of the people who came back from the camps. Yeah. He would locate their families or he would locate, find a place for them to live. But my mother thought he had a girlfriend. Because <laughs> he was so busy? Yes. Oh, my God. No, he was one for, you know, you think of him as an old man, and he's so quiet and easygoing. But he was uh, there, and my mother, too. Very, like, very politically involved. Yes, more than political. They were activists. Yeah. yeah. So then, okay, so then you met, you met the American soldier, and w were you like, this is how I'll get to America? Or what did you think? I didn't think. <laughs> you didn't? It's just uh, that that was the thing that happened. When you married an American, you have to come to America. Yeah, I mean, there's... So, as you can see, my feelings on Germany and that whole situation are a bit colored. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure if you're a German person and you're listening to this, I'm sure that you have these feelings of like, it wasn't me or get over it or something like that. But I'm glad that we, we did this episode because I talked to people about present day and I, and I, I, I didn't allow this fear to keep me from, from trying to understand another country or people different than me, which is kind of the whole thing, isn't it? Maybe one day I will visit Germany. I have heard very good things about the queer culture in Berlin. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. I don't know. Convince me. <laughs> Change my mind. Thank you for listening to this very personal episode of Bad With Money. If it made you feel something, then please give us a great rating wherever you're listening to this. That helps a ton with the show. This show is produced by Tamika Weatherspoon. Our audio engineers, Brendan Burns. Our editors, Andy Christens. And our supervising producers, Josephine Martirana. Our executive producers, Chris Bannon. Original music is composed by Zach Sherwin, Mike Kaplan, and Jack Dolgen. Our theme song is performed by Sam Barbera. Bad With Money is a production of Stitcher. I'm Gabby Dunn, and I will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>